Uh, we've been in a journey that we've uh, described uh, the big picture, Genesis through Revelation, and we have been exploring. We spent eight weeks in the Old Testament, and last Sunday we stepped into the New Testament for the first time. We stepped into uh, the Gospels. Um, uh, this Sunday we step into the book of Acts, and the question that I want to pose is, is this. What happens to someone, or, or what ought to happen to someone, who begins to follow Jesus? What, what change, what transformations would we experience once I, you, have confessed Jesus, like been confronted by Jesus and what he says about our sin, um, confessed my need to be forgiven of that sin, uh, and then received that forgiveness and begun to follow Jesus. What, what comes next? What is it that ought to take place now? Uh, a couple of decades ago, my friend Craig showed up on a Sunday morning um, in the church that we were worshiping in. Hello there. Um, uh, Craig showed up with his family. Uh, God had been, uh, he'd been on a spiritual journey over the previous few months and uh, he showed up that Sunday morning. I, I'm not sure he knew his wife was praying for him. <laughs> that was awesome. Um, and, and that Sunday morning, he encountered Jesus. Um, it, it so happened that one of our life group leaders was kind of in the pew, introduced himself, kind of struck up conversation. It, it evolved into a friendship, and that life group leader became a spiritual mentor to my friend Craig. And, and cr eventually Craig confessed Christ and was baptized, and now 20 or so years later, he continues to follow Jesus um, and to continue to experience his transformation. Uh, what, what, what's your story? What did it look like when you first encountered Jesus? Uh, maybe you know some people, you're in friendship with people who have encountered Jesus and it's begun to change them. Last Sunday, we encountered Jesus. We came into the Gospels and we began, and Jesus makes these extraordinary claims that, that he's God come to earth and that in so doing, he was fulfilling the, the, the ancient hope, the, the expectations of a deliverer, of a rescuer uh, who would come and would bridge the gap, would come and bridge the gap. I don't know if we're going to have video support here or not, um, but I've got a diagram that I wanted to throw up on the screen for you, and I'm not going to be able to give it to you here just via this. Oh, there we go. We got a little bit of it online. Our technical team are so fantastic. There you go. There's a little bit of it online up on the big screen there. Um, uh, there's an, an enormous chasm that exists between God and humanity, and, and only Jesus has been able, is able to bridge that gap. He is, if we are willing to recognize our need for God, uh, he is willing to step into that gap and fulfill all the requirements of justice, the, the justice that demands that my sin be paid for. He's willing to take that on himself in order that he would become my righteousness. He would give me his right relationship with God the Father. Uh, this is called the bridge diagram. If you've downloaded uh, the Okotoks Alliance Church smartphone app, uh, we've given that to you. You just touch the, up, uh, the out button, and it's one of a few tools that we've given to you just to kind of maybe help you grow in your faith and understanding of your faith, but, but also a way that you can share uh, that with someone else when you find yourself in spiritual conversation. What is it that God has done for you? Well, here, here's the bridge diagram. 
all of this, what I'm describing here, is what the New Testament refers to as the gospel. It's the gospel. It's the good news. And last Sunday, we encountered four writings that embody this good news. We call them the gospels, but just make sure that there's no confusion. There's one gospel, but there are four writings which speak about that gospel. We've got the gospel according to Matthew. The gospel according to Mark, the gospel according to Luke, the gospel according to John. And as we discussed last Sunday, the first three, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, sorry, the first three I can count, um, they have a lot in common with one another, the, the synoptic gospels. Some of them even verbatim have the same language in them. The gospel of John is, is more distinct, more unique than the others, but they all point to Jesus. And they all find, so it's different perspectives on Jesus, on his time on earth, on people's interactions with Jesus, and, and they all find complete agreement in this. There are only two options. You are either a follower of Jesus and a member of the kingdom of God. You're in the kingdom of his marvelous light, or you are still in the kingdom of darkness, which means you are in grave peril and in need of a rescuer, in need of a savior. And, and, and so if you make the decision to follow Jesus, and I've been praying that there'd be people with us in person and that there'd be people joining us online who are wrestling with this, this question. Am I prepared to follow Jesus? If you make the decision to follow Jesus, what might I expect this new world, the, the kingdom of God's light, what might I expect it to look like? Enter the book of Acts. God's given us a picture of the first decades of those who began to follow Jesus. How did their lives change what took place when they encountered Jesus? And it becomes instructive to us as well. Let's read from Acts chapter 1. Uh, I'm going to read from the New International Version. If you're looking it up digitally, um, I would normally say it's going to be online. It'll be on the screen here, I think. And you might be able to catch a bit of it on the corner of my iPhone. Uh, but, but let me read for you Acts chapter 1, the first three verses. It's not a long reading. Here's what it says. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Now, now let's just take that apart for a minute. I want you to catch a few things here. If you have read through or even just the first part of the gospel according to Luke, you've met Theophilus already. Luke writes to Theophilus, the first chapter of, of Luke. Um, and here, the writer says, in my former book. Okay, so this is kind of just literary cues that tell us the writer of the Gospel of Luke is the same guy who wrote the book of Acts. So we're talking about Dr. Luke, a Greek medical doctor, friend, traveling companion of the Apostle Paul. Now, I've been promising the last couple of weeks that I'd introduce you to Paul. It's coming in just a few minutes. Dr. Luke is the author of the gospel, and he's the author of the book of Acts. They're kind of like volume one and volume two. 
But look carefully at what Luke, the, the words that Luke uses here as he describes that first writing. He says, in my first writing, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. Okay, well, volume one of the gospel is about what he began to do and teach. What's that infer about the second volume, the book of, of Acts? It's what Jesus continues to do and teach. However, verse two, chapter one, Jesus is gone. He's ascended to the Father. How is that to work? How is it that he's continuing to do and teach anything? Well, the reality is he is going to begin to do and teach everything but through a new way, in a different way. And Jesus spoke about this way before he left. Back in John chapter 14, the Gospel of John, listen to what Jesus said there. John chapter 14, verse 15. Jesus' words, he said, if you love me, obey my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. Jumping down to verse 25, I'm telling you these things now while I am still with you, but when the Father sends the advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. So, so God, the Holy Spirit, is whom Jesus promised would come. God, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, God himself, would take up residence in everyone who confesses Jesus, the second person of the Trinity. So God with us, Jesus, becomes God in us, the Holy Spirit. And he is going to lead us into all truth. And he will teach you everything, and he will remind you of everything that I, Jesus, have told you. Okay, so, so, so this book, this book of Acts is about what Jesus continues to do through the presence and the work of the Holy Spirit now at work in every follower of Jesus. And, and note that I use the, the present tense in describing this. It's not what Jesus continued to do, past tense. It's what he continues to do. It's what he is doing even here and now. So the book of Acts begins as this continuation from the Gospel of Luke but it ends incomplete. You get to the final chapter and it's like, where's the next page? What's going on? The next page is continuing on. I'll talk about that in just a moment. It's It's what Jesus is continuing to do and teach right through until today. So this book is about what Jesus continues to do, Dr. Luke specifically is going to zero in on what Jesus does through his 12 disciples, uh, the 12 men who are closest to him, and in particular, he even zeroes in a little more specifically to the three who were closest to him, Peter, James, and John, in telling us what took place in that first decade or so. So Acts chapter 1 through Acts chapter 12 are focused on the 12 disciples, now called apostles, Apostles, don't be confused about that. The disciples become apostles because the word apostle means to be sent. Jesus sent them. They're now apostles. And in particular, Peter, James, and his brother John are, become the primary focus of these first 12 chapters of the, of the book of Acts. So he, there are some enormous events that take place in these first chapters. The first event of enormous significance is the ascension of Jesus. Uh, he, he returns to the Father. Acts chapter 1, verse 6. Let me read it for you. This is the New Living Translation. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, 
Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? He replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they're not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, through Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching, and they stood, and, and, and they could no longer see him. As they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. So Jesus was gone, but he again promised the Holy Spirit would come, and that leads us kind of to the second enormous, significant event that happens in these first 12 chapters of Acts. It's the coming of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. And suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. Isn't that wild? Like, it must have been an incredible experience. Jesus left. The Holy Spirit came and began to transform these followers of Jesus. God with us became God in us, and it's revolutionary. He's doing, he's doing miracles through them. So here's, here's one of the first things that, that I would want to point out that took place. Just after what I read, Acts chapter 2, the apostle Peter stands up before this crowd, a crowd of thousands of people gather. Uh, there, there's, there's enough commotion going on. They've come to see what's taking place. And Peter preaches this amazing sermon. It's recorded for us there. And here's Peter, this guy who, like a little over a month earlier, denied even knowing Jesus when a, uh, when a slave, a servant girl, uh, challenges him. Like, denies even knowing him. Now he's standing up in front of, of thousands of people telling them all about Jesus. And, and so effective was that sermon that 3,000 people that day believed in Jesus and began following him. It was extraordinary. It was extraordinary. God's power had come upon Peter because the Holy Spirit had come and was now God in us, working through him to accomplish extraordinary things. And in this transformation, the followers of Jesus would be equipped with faith to access the power of God who's now present living within them. Now listen to this. We're looking, we're tracking these major events in the first 12 chapters of Acts, the ascension of Jesus, the coming of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 3, the equipping of the church with power. In this case, power to heal. Acts chapter 3, verse 1. Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the three o'clock prayer service. As they approached the temple, a man, lame from birth, was being carried in. Each day he was put beside the temple gate, the one called the beautiful gate, so he could beg from the people going into the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. Peter and John looked at him intently, and Peter said, look at us. The lame man looked at them eagerly, expecting some money, but Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, get up and walk. 
And then Peter took the lame man by the right hand and helped him up. And as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. He jumped up, stood on his feet, and began to walk. And then walking, leaping, and praising God, he went into the temple with them. <laughs> so that's, that's just a little sampling of the transformation that, 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 that began to come over these men. God's power became evident to them. Extraordinary things. They were were present and they were active in performing miracles. They even participated in the miracle of self-denial. Self-denial, what does it take for us to deny ourselves? Some of Jesus' followers were called to follow Jesus right through to death as a martyr. Right through to death. Jesus had warned them. He said, look, the servant is not going to be above his master. The way they've abused me, they will abuse you. And Acts chapter 7, it introduces us to a guy named Stephen. And, and the guy just won't shut up about Jesus. And, and so the crowd kills him. Acts chapter 12, uh, James, the, the brother of John, part of the three, he's become a leader of the church in Jerusalem, won't shut up about Jesus. And, and so they execute him. They killed him. These are huge events happening in the early church that, that are equipping the church and leading them to places they never, ever would have gone in their own strength. We, we've been tracking through the pages of the Old Testament uh, how followers of Jesus would attempt to follow, followers of God, pardon me, would attempt to follow him. Uh, but it was a hard, hard row, and often they'd start well, and then they, they would not end nearly so well we begin to see a new trajectory established in the pages of the New Testament. And it's because God with us has become God in us. And he is working through us to accomplish his purposes. Another huge event that takes place in these first 12 chapters is Dr. Luke introduces us to a man named Saul. (laughs) This guy, he's severely persecuting the church. He was involved in the execution of Stephen back in Acts chapter 7. He is uttering threats against the followers of Jesus. Uh, he, he, so severe was this that, that families began to pick up and move. They'd leave Jerusalem in order to get away from the persecution. Now God used that because then suddenly there were witnesses in these other communities out and about and around the known world. But that's the kind of persecution that was taking place. And in fact, God arrested Saul as he was on his way to, from Jerusalem to Damascus to arrest Christians. There's a turnabout, right? He went to stop followers of Jesus, but Jesus stopped him. Let me read about that for you. Acts chapter 9, verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest, this is in Jerusalem, He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way that he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. As he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men with Saul stood speechless, for they heard the sound of someone's voice, but saw no one. Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. 
So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. He remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. Now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying to me right now. I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. And he's authorized by the leading priest to arrest anyone who calls upon your name. But the Lord said, go. For Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings as well as to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So there we have it. There's the, there's the introduction to the apostle Paul. Saul was his Hebrew name, but in Greek circles he ends up hanging out and he goes by Paul. And most of the remainder of the book of Acts follows the account of what God did through this man named Paul and his ministry companions. So let me, I'm going to introduce you in a moment to Paul and Barnabas and John Mark and Silas, but before we leave kind of these major events in the first 12 chapters, one more thing I've got to tell you about. There's this, another huge thing that took place. The, the Holy Spirit, talking to the apostle Peter, led him to, I, I haven't got the time to go into the details, but he led him to understand that, that this work that God was doing was no longer exclusive to the Jewish people, but Gentiles were invited in as well. The Jewish Messiah had not come to make everyone Jewish, though that's kind of what they thought. Rather, through the Jewish Messiah, everyone is invited to be reconciled to God. God was making a new people for himself, out of the old and adding the new. Uh, he was initiating a new covenant arrangement through the, his son, Jesus. And everyone is invited into it. We heard a little hint of that in what I just read, Acts chapter 9, the Holy Spirit speaking to Ananias. He, he said that Saul or Paul would take the good news about Jesus to the non-Jews, to the Gentiles, in addition to the kings and the people of Israel. Okay? So, so this is an enormous, an enormous occurrence, an enormous event that would shape the church forever. So the work of transformation that God did in Paul's life, Saul becomes Paul, becomes kind of an ex this incredible example. Like if God can transform Saul into Paul, is anyone beyond God's transformative reach? <laughs> Paul will take his companions, they'll go on three different missionary trips around the Mediterranean, and the answer to that question time and time again is no. No one is beyond God's transformative reach. Everywhere they go, they share the good news about Jesus, and people respond. And then they start a little church in that area, and it takes on the responsibility to tell others about Jesus. And then Paul and his companions move on, and they start another church everywhere they went. Now here, I'm going to show you three maps. Those online will maybe have a little bit of difficulty sort of seeing some of them. Yeah, we'll do that. That might work. I'm going to show you three maps um, that, that describe Paul's th three missionary journeys. Um, Acts chapter 13 and 14, his first missionary journey. 
Uh, Paul travels with, uh, in this case, with Barnabas. Uh, The name Barnabas means son of encouragement. He must have been a great guy to travel with. (laughs) Son of encouragement. Um, John Mark is there as well. John Mark becomes the author of the Gospel of Mark. Um, At this point, he's a young man. He's got some insecurities. It causes all kinds of trouble for the crew uh, on this first missionary trip. But they go from Antioch, let's see here, I can bet you I can point to it on the screen, over to Cyprus, and then over to mainland, up into Turkey, and that's where they're traveling. You'll see the name Galatia up at the top. Uh, I don't know if I can point to that or not. Galatia is up up there, and uh, that that becomes the location of one of Paul's letters. He writes to the churches in Galatia, the letter of Galatians. Uh, So this happens about AD 47, about AD 47. Paul makes this first trip, it's about 11 years after that road to Damascus experience. He spent 11 years learning about Jesus, uh, walking with Jesus, and then he's sent out to serve Jesus in this way. About three years after the first trip, he he makes a second trip. It's a longer trip. Uh, You can read about that in Acts chapter 16 through 18. Goes across, um, and visits many of the cities that he's already visited. Um, uh, when When it becomes evident that the Holy Spirit is at work in that community, People begin to trust Jesus. Uh, Paul stays. The, the, the team stays. Maybe for a few months. Uh, at most for a couple of years. And, and then they've established the church. And then they move on. And they start another church in the next area. Uh, here's the third map. Third missionary journey. Um, you can read about that. Acts chapter 18 through 21. And, and, and you'll, you'll see that some of the... If, if you notice some of the names of the cities, I don't know if you can see the map clearly enough, but some of the names of the towns, cities that they are visiting show up in our New Testament as names of letters. And so as Paul was traveling, he was writing letters back to churches that he'd established in some of these other communities in order to instruct them, in order to encourage them. And they'd receive these letters and they'd experience God's voice speaking to them through these letters and they would cherish them share them with the other churches in the area. Well, lo and behold, they said, look, these, these are beautiful. Like, these impact us too. And, and, and we're going to collect them. They begin to realize this is God speaking through these writings. And over the course of time, it becomes agreed that, look, these are the authoritative collection of letters. And that's how they become part of our New Testament. Uh, Paul writes to the churches in the province of Galatia, he writes to the church in the city of Ephesus, Thessalonica, Philippi, Rome. Rome's kind of interesting because he hasn't even visited Rome. We're not even sure how the church in Rome started. Uh, best guess is that on that day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit showed up, it tells us that people from all over the world, known world, were there, and, and, and probably, it seems, Jews who were there to worship encountered Jesus and then took the good news of Jesus back to Rome and started a church. As best we can tell, that's about how the church in Rome started. Uh, Paul's going to visit them. This becomes his final trip. Fourth trip. This time he's in chains. He, he, he has been incarcerated and he's going to stand before Caesar. He'd appealed to Caesar and he's going to stand trial before Caesar in Rome. Um, so AD 64, about 30 years after that road to Damascus experience, 30 years after he first confessed Jesus. Paul's in Rome. Uh, He writes his second letter to Timothy. Uh, We've got some letters in the New Testament that are focused on churches. We've got some letters that are sort of personal uh, letters to Timothy, Titus. 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy, A.D. 64. Paul writes this letter to encourage Timothy, who's been a young protege, and then he's executed. 
uh, under order by Emperor Nero. But listen to what, listen to what uh, he, how he describes uh, his, uh, uh, his assignment from God. This is from a letter that he wrote to the church in the city of Ephesus. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 8. Paul writes this, Though I am the least deserving of all God's people, he graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. I was chosen to explain to everyone this mysterious plan that God, the creator of all things, had kept secret from the beginning. God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was his eternal plan, which he carried out through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Transformed. Like what an extraordinary account of a guy who was was bloodthirsty after Christians and he becomes the greatest advocate of the church in the first century. Transformation. The English poet, 19th century poet, Alfred Lord Tennyson wrote, Ah, for a man to arise in me that the man I am may no longer be. Another poet, John Clare, writes, If life had a second edition... How I would correct the proofs, right? But, but the reality is that we don't get a second chance at life. But it is possible for your one solitary existence to experience the transforming power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Transformation. Because this is what he does this is, this is his work. This is what happens when you have a genuine encounter with Jesus. He takes up residence in you, in us. And he radically, he begins to radically reshape us from the inside out. And he gives us new strength. And he gives us new purpose. He gives us a new focus in life. And and then he gives us access to his power and the capacity to accomplish everything that he would assign us to accomplish, even death, if it were to come to that extreme. And it has for many followers of Jesus. So how about it? Are you ready to follow Jesus? Are you ready to follow Jesus? Like Acts, Luke gives us the, the, the exciting, but, 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 but the non-sugar-coated version of that invitation. He's inviting each and every one of us to step out of the kingdom of darkness in dire peril and step into the kingdom of God's glorious light and begin to follow, begin to follow Jesus. Uh, to, 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 To embrace this invitation to be a new covenant in a new covenant relationship with God through the work of Jesus, equipped and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Jesus has met all the requirements, and he's inviting you to participate with him in the glorious benefits of what he's done.